Welcome to the Office 365 Developer Show. I'm your host, Jeremy Thake. The only show focused on Office 365 development, where I talk to the experts from all over the globe coding on the Office 365 platform. For more information on Office 365 development, please visit dev.office.com and follow us on the hashtag Office365Dev. Okay, and welcome to episode 48. I've, um, I'm here sitting in my new office uh, with my new setup, and I've got Rich Zriga on the phone and Eric Shutt. So welcome to the show, guys. Good to be here. So I think we, we might have some questions around, um, you know, kind of your background and, and what you do is is around the communities. And Dallas is, you know, I'll just speak to the Dallas community a little bit. You know, we've had a lot of growth in the MVP space here. So we had, uh, you mentioned, um, you know, Jennifer and Corey relocated up here to Dallas and, and you and Miguel had a, had a pretty strong leadership even prior to that. So, you know, we've, we've kind of, in a lot of ways in Dallas done, done a reset. We still have all the great people that come out and see it, but from a, it feels a lot more grassroots these days. Um, tell me, tell me your kind of your thoughts of that and, and how the community here has evolved. Well, I think we've followed like a lot of other community have, have in the past. I mean, it, it takes a lot of time and effort to run a user group, but you can't do it without sponsor dollars. And it's certainly not 10 people get around the table and share three pizzas kind of thing anymore. Like it was back in the early days, these are structured events and they require planning and execution. And we had a, a local ISV consulting shop here in Dallas that ran it for a good part of nine years and they did a great job, but it was just time to, to move on. I think have the community take that back under control and uh, put it back in the, in the hands of those people who talk and present and participate. And so Jennifer, Corey, and Miguel and I uh, took it over. We formed a new nonprofit uh, organization, which is going to be helpful in many ways, not the least of which is our SharePoint Saturdays and other events can now be run by the same group of community participants. Um, we can handle all the transactional business side stuff as well. So we have that platform, not just for the user group, but we now have the capability to expand it into other learning opportunities. We're going to be introducing webcasts, a monthly webcast as part of our user group sponsorship. And we'll also be doing some meet and greet events. So we, what we're really trying to build, I think long-term is, is community engagement that doesn't focus around the old model of just you know, one meeting a month and you show up in, in the evening and have some pizza. And we're going to want to extend that out because let's face it, the, as the model changes, as we introduce things like Office 365, I think we've we've become more collaboratively disconnected, if I can use that as a phrase. But we've got people coming from all different sorts of places to participate, and I think we need to widen the parameters for how we engage uh, with those folks. And that's what we're trying to do. So so far, so good. Yeah, you guys have been really. I know um, you know I've been traveling a lot this this calendar year, but the meetings that I've made. You know, you guys are uh, fantastic about collecting feedback and really trying to apply and, and have the, you know, this community be something that, you know, it might morph over time as, you know, based upon the needs of the, the participants in it. Now, you said one thing there that I thought was really interesting. You talked about kind of the Office 365 how that might kind of play into these communities. So, you know, I think a lot of the really rich community that has been around the world in the office space has been SharePoint. You've had these really strong SharePoint user groups. There might be some, you know, small exchange user groups around and there might be, you know, I know that Link or Skype for Business has had a few like unified communication groups, but 
How do you think that'll impact, you know, the, the movement of Office 365 and kind of how the blurring of these different services, you know, where you have things like site mailboxes as a feature or uh, modern groups that kind of span a bunch of different services. How do you think that that's going to impact like the traditional SharePoint user group? It's a great question. And I don't think anybody is, has gotten their heads around that yet. I think we're trying a lot of different things. We're starting to see the Office 365 Saturdays following the SharePoint Saturday model crop up. Uh, there's a few dedicated Office 365 user groups around, but I think what SharePoint, what the SharePoint community did organically was something that very few other technologies have done. Certainly the ASP.NET community did a lot of it, and we follow a lot in their footsteps from what we do in, in SharePoint. But I think that what we'll see is the same type of gatherings of subject matter experts and, and knowledge workers and those interested in the technology, but they'll start to blend around maybe functional areas. So we'll have maybe site administrators becoming more of a discussion group, whereas before we had like architects and implementers and, and those people who put the building blocks together and installed farms and configured them and all that sort of stuff for one distinct group. And the site admins just sort of got dragged along. In Office 365, a lot of things start and end with the site uh, administrators. And I think we'll see them have more voice and more representation in the groups. I think we'll also start talking about feature areas. So we'll start to have uh, discussions around Delve and and the whole Office Graph concept and and then We'll talk about the groups as these new features are released and other things that are coming down the pipe. So I think what we're what we end up doing is maybe expanding the footprint of these groups. And instead of an hour discussion, we need to have a two hour discussion on three different topics as we did in the past. And and I think the reach gets bigger at the same time. The challenge uh, is bigger in that we have to cater to these different audiences. And we're certainly trying to figure out how to do that ourselves and maybe slicing it up into smaller chunks on different topics that we deliver to the users. And and maybe it is that that one meeting a month format the user groups have followed for so long no longer works. Maybe we need to have more of an online or, or more nimble type of model, or, or maybe it, it uh, there's multiple times that, that we meet a month on different topics. I'm not yet sure how that's going to shake out, but it certainly is driving a change in the way that people look for information and we communicate information and, and we'll, we'll have to adapt to that. Yeah. I must admit, I've been, I've, you know, seen some of the, the posts around like what, what you talk about in the meetings going, Oh, I wish I could actually hear what you guys are saying in the meetings. And some of your members will tweet kind of opinions and, um, and what's been talked about and it's, you know, having this kind of online concept. And I know some of the user groups globally are doing that now where you can jump on, even if you're not in the area and, and listen to it would be of great value. And I think to your point with kind of the user groups, but also with like SP TechCon Dev Days and the other events that kind of third party speakers such as yourself do is that, you know, we go to these conferences and we're very much focused around uh, the level two, 300 content on ramping new people up and giving people a bit of depth on, you know, the breadth of what you can do. But the value that, you know, the MVPs like yourself and the external speakers give is that you're out there in the real world in the trenches using this stuff and you kind of give that kind of specific guidance um, around kind of, okay, these guys said this, you know, Jeremy talked about SharePoint add-ins or Office add-ins and, 
you know, that's great, but there's X, Y, and Z things you need to look out for that maybe we don't mention MSDN or we don't mention here. And sometimes it's because when we're doing these things, we, you know, we are doing demos and we try and build out hero demos that meet certain scenarios, but we're not going to be able to cater for every single scenario that you guys are seeing out there in the trenches. And that's why it's really useful to kind of go to those conferences like SP TechCon Dev Days and, and the user groups to actually hear and, 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 um, and see what you guys are speaking based on like playing with this stuff and being on the bleeding edge all the time. And, you know, we, that's the value we get out of the community in sharing that. And I think, you know, with the podcast today, we really wanted to kind of try and tease out some of the stuff that you're going to talk about at SP Tech Conduct Days in that session, actually, Shop. So, I mean, what what's your opinion of the SharePoint Addy model? I know you're in Full Trust Code model for a long, long time, like I was, actually a lot longer than I was, to be quite frank. And I know we've had lots and lots of discussions offline on Facebook and on the Yammer uh, MVP network feed, but um, you know, how would what's your approach if a customer comes up to you and says, you know, I want to use the SharePoint adding model to build my next business solution on top of SharePoint Online or SharePoint Server on premises? Well, I think the question is more likely to be, or at least in my experience, is um, should I use uh, the add-in model uh, for developing my solution? Should I convert my full trust solutions to? add-ins. And the message that I've been pretty consistent in giving folks over the last several years is uh, this is the future. This is the way that we're going. The In order to facilitate the cloud, we have to have a development framework that allows us to do disconnected remote development. And there's no reason why we shouldn't be bringing that back on-premise so that you have a unified skill set throughout the organization uh, and that you're building things in a consistent manner. For some organizations that are nimble or have greenfield projects, that's really easy to do. They can say, oh, great. Yep, we'll start cranking some out some stuff out in, in JavaScript and, and Angular and, or and Breeze or whatever it is that they use for their MVVM JavaScript framework. But for other organizations, that's really, really difficult. The full trust, we have to bear in mind that the full trust code model isn't just a SharePoint thing. It's how enterprises have been developing their software for the last 40 some odd 50 years. And asking them to change completely the way that they do that isn't just a code shift for SharePoint. It's a complete organizational shift in the way that they handle their internal application development model. So I try to strike that balance with, with customers. I understand where they come from. Are you a, a legacy enterprise that has a lot of challenges to adopting this model? Or are you a more nimble enterprise that, that can easily adopt? If you can easily adopt... I think you should be going add-in model first until you reach a point where you absolutely can't do something. And then if you're on-premise and have to roll some full trust code, okay, that that's understandable for the time being uh, until the model matures and we can cover all of the scenarios. Uh, certainly, if you're an Office 365 organization, then, then your path is set uh, and you know what you're going to be doing. You still have to deal with the organizational shift and, and the transformation in, in thinking. So we can have these discussions about these point discussions, right? About particular features. Should I do this as a timer job? Should I do it as an Azure web job? Should I do this as an app part or should I do it as a web part? I don't think those are actually really the, the deep pain points in model adoption or, or changing your coding practices. I think it's, it's the bigger discussion of can we actually bring in Azure to do provider hosted applications uh, nimbly? Or are we stuck with IT having to provision stuff and it takes you know eight weeks to get an IIS site um, stood up? I think those are the bigger challenge points, but 
from a long-term perspective, it's it. We've been doing the add-in model now for three years, uh, going on three years. The, it's not going to change in the next rev. And with the hybrid model coming up, I think it's actually going to make it easier uh, to extend those applications across the cloud and, and on-prem. To any SharePoint developer who's listening that's still doing full trust code and, and is sort of eyeballing the add-in model and not sure what to do, I would strongly encourage you to start learning these techniques and start doing sample applications at least to get your feet into this because this is the direction that we're going. Doesn't mean you have to stop building your full trust code solutions that you've invested a lot of time in, but forward looking, those are, are leading towards a sunset cycle and, and we need to be looking at how we can do things more of this cloud type of model and it's better to learn it now than to wait. So one of the things you, you've said there is that it's not so much, hey, should I do this? It's more around kind of uh, an organization's ability to, what, what is what do you think the biggest challenge there? Is it is it like retraining developers they have? Is it more like the whole like entire application life cycle that maybe is so like ingrained in, in maybe that org's culture? Like, where do you think the big challenge there is in, in kind of the organization making that shift? There's several distinct areas that I've found over the last couple of years in, in dealing with enterprise development shops. One, and probably the largest, is application lifecycle management. These big orgs have a defined process model for you know, builds, dev, stage, test, deploy, you know, and, and regression test and all through that process. And they've used the extensive tool set that Microsoft has given them uh, for that process. And when you think about what Microsoft has done over the years with Visual Studio and, and TFS and all those different components and the life cycle that you can accomplish with a very small number of tools is pretty incredible. And People have bought into that model, organizations have bought into that model, and they have these very deeply defined, very complex processes that allow them to be as nimble as they possibly can in their organization, but also to meet all of their quality checks and, and requirements. If you go to an alternative and step out of that enterprise model where they have all these structures and you go to these, these like startup type of environments, Sure, they get code out faster, but they don't test as much. They don't deliver quality code with each release. They don't have internal constituents uh, who know where to come find them at the cubicle they sit at when things break. They're not, they don't have to deal with the internal politics of delivery in a big organization. They don't have the infrastructure uh, limitations where you've got organizations that simply cannot use the cloud for internal apps, and yet they don't have infrastructure to spin up another website for a provider-hosted app to, to deploy to. And with the add-in model, don't really have a uh, deployment cycle that plugs neatly into the way they've been doing things. So part of it is organizational hierarchies that are there for a reason uh, to, at least in theory, produce better quality deliverables. And you have tooling requirements that we're not quite there yet on the tooling for the uh, add-in model as we were on the full trust code model. And that's simply because in the full trust model, we just adopted things from ASP.NET and Visual Studio and TFS and whatnot that were already there um, and just blended them into the SharePoint development cycle. It's not quite the same on the add-in model as our tools progress, as the resistance to cloud delivered infrastructure eases 
Or I got to tell you, the thing that I am so excited about is the Azure stack that was announced at, at Build and Ignite. This is phenomenal. It allows people to take that whole Azure nimble uh, type of concept and bring it on-premise. I know it, it's not as easy as just plug it in as it go. It's like uh, uh, Azure in the cloud is. But being able to do that and scale their infrastructure internally and remove that barrier that says we can't do public cloud, take private cloud and put it in your enterprise, blend that with the add-in model. And, and as we improve our tooling for that and our deployment capabilities and ALM, wow, I think we're going to drive some ex uh, organizational change in these environments like we never could before. Yeah, I think, you know, to touch on the ALM thing, and I know I want to go back to some of the the pushback from the IT side on setup. The big thing we've always had in the SharePoint world has been around replicating environments. So as well as kind of the continuous deployment aspect of, you know, checking my code and it automatically pushes out a new add-in into the environment you're in. There's data in production that you want to be able to kind of move back into a test or maybe even a development environment to be able to test your apps in a realistic way. And, you know, coming from my web development world where I could get copies of the database or subsets of the database that I could run in my dev environment to see how my app was working or whether my code changes caused any issues or affected my integration testing. That's all has always historically been a, a problem with SharePoint is getting that data out of one environment and moving into another because I always kind of talk about SharePoint as it's kind of we talk about the data layer and the presentation layer and the business logic layer in between. Like SharePoint is just this glob of stuff that is very hard to kind of disassemble and only be able to pull out the data layer or only be able to deploy the business logic layer or only be able to deploy the presentation layer. What kind of techniques have you done historically, Eric, around this? And uh, is there anything you, you're seeing as, as improving or could improve in future around the adding model that would help there? Maybe like a wish list of things you'd like to see in that space. Yeah, boy, you hit the nail on the head. That that has always been a horrific challenge for every organization that's doing deep SharePoint customization that that relies on data inside of the SharePoint environment. And it's it's a challenge that we never fully solved in full trust code on premises. We do have environment replication where we can take a farm and reproduce it in a lab and and work with that data. Uh, over the years, it's certainly gotten better as to where we can do, you know, database detach and attach down into a dev environment. And that process has gotten a lot uh, smoother as we've learned uh, the lessons of that over the years and the underlying APIs have been improved. So we that started out as a real nightmare that was almost unassailable and, and now over time has become, although still difficult, manageable to a certain degree in regressing changes out of production back into dev. And it usually revolves around taking uh, those databases and, and just moving them down into your lab or dev environment and working with those. But you still have to face the challenges of configuration. What if you're using managed metadata and the user profile store and, and search? Uh, and so it, that's always been challenging. Unfortunately, the nature of the beast is that that hasn't really improved in the cloud. We can't, if we could take a tenancy and say, I want to uh, create a, a dev clone of my tenancy that I can develop against, uh, that would sort of bridge the gap to where we have in full trust where we can take our uh, local content database and we can just move it into a lab environment. We can't really do that in Office 365 uh, yet. Uh, that would be a huge ask. Um, and I know it is a huge ask of from a development capability, the ability to have that sort of switch. 
or the ability even to just uh, clone site collections or, or that we've created data from one to another. We really don't have an effective way to do that without migration tools uh, to do. Those could definitely ease the development and ALM process. Speaking of ALM, you know, we've got some big gaps there on the the cloud application model side, I think we all realize that. We all know it. It's not a secret to anybody. ALM is a challenge. It is getting better. And obviously, you guys are working on it. We as a community are working on it. I was really glad to see a, a, at least a, a couple of sessions at Ignite uh, talking about the whole ALM story. Uh, so we're not hiding from it. We know there's an issue there. We, you know, we obviously want to improve it as things get better. I know there's some frustration there for folks around the fact that we we just can't give them everything just now immediately as they want it and and i've expressed my own frustration with that as you well know <laughs> uh, but uh, i i think that people need to look at this as back in like the 2007 to 2010 days right we we had this new thing and we were trying to figure out how to make it work for everyone. And it took a while for us to, to do that. It really took Mike Morton's team stepping in and understanding and huge credit to him and the work that his team did in understanding what we were trying to do as SharePoint developers and giving us the tools to make it happen. That will happen again. We will be able to improve this process going forward. And, and then those of us who did it in the dark days of the last few years will be able to look back in a few years and go, ah, oh, Sonny, you remember when we had to deploy manually and uh, all that sort of thing. So it, it's getting better. I think that the, we have a better way to collect feedback from the community now. Things are certainly faster, maybe too fast in some cases, but Things are certainly, uh, we have the user voice and, and we have much better outlets. I got to give a lot of props to your team for being out there and engaged with the community a lot more than, than similar teams were in the past and collecting feedback, being at events, talking to folks. So it, yes, there are some challenges certainly, but I think they're getting better and and the best we can do now is, is work with what we have and I hope that the feedback that we're giving, and we all are giving feedback. It's coming through the social channels. I don't think there's any issues out there that that the engineering and yourself aren't aware of that you haven't at least heard something about, maybe not the the finite details. But I think there's a good feedback loop now, and, and I'm really positive that those challenges that we face will get addressed and, and the story will just keep getting better as we go along. Yeah, I think that, you know, there's a few things there just to really point out. The one is the we were always giving feedback, you know, in the other cycles around the 2007, 2010, 2013. But in typically with engineering, there was only a few MVPs and a few ISVs that got early, early access, like a year into the cycle to be able to give that feedback. Um, most of us were given it two years into that cycle. And often that was getting very, very close to a, a release candidate of the product. So being able to get changes into the product often even meant, well, We'll wait to a service pack, which is 18 months after a ship, or it'll even even worse, we'll wait to the next major version to try and address it. In this world where you know we are shipping all the time, and you know, as Bill uh, Bear has talked about with SharePoint Server, how that's going to adjust on their cycles, it's interesting because you know the listing posts are out, and with the likes of Vesta Uvenen and his his work, and with what Steve Walker's doing now with his move more into engineering and the dev life cycle focus um they're working very close with engineering like our team are and like rich is doing 
um, to make sure that they are addressing the concerns that are coming from you guys via user voice and via all the forums and social networks where we're plumbed into. And, you know, we just encourage everyone, you know, to get in there and give that feedback because we really want to hear it because, you know, we've all been there. We've all been on projects where it's frustrating to work with LM um, in large teams with, with this type of tech and, you know, we do we do need to hear it to prioritize that stuff with engineering over them shipping cool new shiny things, not addressing some of the fundamentals such as the LM side. I think the other one that I wanted to kind of really trigger on was you mentioned around, you know, when we talk about the stuff from a marketing perspective, with provider hosted ad ends, it's all about you know, spinning up an, uh, an Azure website and you know, no problem. I can launch this from the site contents page and it'll, you know, spit up my Azure website and run the app totally in Azure websites as MVC or whatever tech you want. Um, but you mentioned there around, you know, a lot of organizations pushing back on that, whether it's they don't have an Azure sub, uh, even though they have Chevron online or on-prem, the guys that have the keys to spin up new websites on IS server. But I wanted, one of the other things I had, uh, I was assuming would also be an issue is the setup of provider hosted in the first place. And what, what have you seen out there in a the field around, around those issues? Yeah, that's, that's a challenge, obviously. I mean, it, the, uh, look, let's be honest, the app model, add-in model, uh, cloud model, however you want to describe it was defined and created for office 365. It revolves around cloud connected services with cloud connected infrastructure. We know that. Okay, backporting it to on-prem was a, uh, I know the amount of effort that it took to, to do that. And then the fact that we even got it working for the 2013 ship in the time frame we had was, was pretty miraculous. The story isn't great on-premise. We, we know that. From a development perspective, there's a lot of challenges. I think that what would be helpful in that environment is if we had a consistent set of tooling that we could use for deployment. So everyone having to roll their own PowerShell scripts to do that uh, and having to hand it over to a customer. And it, for ISVs, this is particularly problematic. So I'll give you a real world scenario with the Support Plus app from Combined Knowledge. We have to deliver that app both in the cloud and on-premise. There's no way that we can roll that on-premise app if we have to do what amounts to a mini consulting engagement every time we interact with a customer. Uh, we just can't get access to run all the PowerShell scripts on-premise for a provider-hosted app and get connectivity. Just to get approval for that from some larger organizations can take months to do. There's obvious security concerns, even if we... You've had the experience, right, where you have real security concerns and then security screens that people are putting up just to, to protect themselves. But regardless, it's still a real problem and you still have to deal with it. And as a small ISV, it's that's too challenging. Those sales cycles are too long and you just can't do that. So we had to do some very creative things around deploying a SharePoint hosted app that does the work for us and, and allows us to, in effect, deploy a provider hosted app but it's a sharepoint hosted app are you finding that like like so some of that plumbing i would think is is a big blocker for some of these scenarios like powershell is one thing but like depending on like the scope of it like so for instance it, it, as you've gone around with with customers that are on premises how like ballpark how how like what percentage do you see having some of the plumbing like app management and having the wildcard domain and all those things to the support apps on premises is that uh, is that what you're including in kind of the effort to get something to run on premises yeah and i would say the number is zero <laughs> percent uh people just 
aren't prepared, especially in larger orgs, they're not prepared for that level of configuration required to run apps on-premise. Partly because it's new, and they haven't had to do this for other things, like wildcard DNS, uh, very rarely do I come across someone that even knows what it is in an on-premise environment or why they would need it. And those that do still have to understand, why do I need a separate domain for apps, and how does this help me? And it, part of it is the infrastructure, part of it's the plumbing, part of it's getting the teams to work with each other, right? We need uh, network teams and the sysadmins and the SharePoint people to all coordinate together. So that, yeah, we, there are definitely challenges there, and that's why just handing them off a SharePoint hosted app in the enterprise is such a simple solution to the pro- I shouldn't even say it's a solution. It's a simple workaround to the problem. They, they still need to properly do configuration in their environment for supporting apps, anything that we could do from the product perspective to make that easier would be a huge win uh, in the enterprise. But, uh, and I know I've harped a lot on on SharePoint hosted apps, and I understand why there are a lot of concerns around continuing to support those from engineering's perspective, but it makes it so easy for an ISV to deliver a solution to an enterprise customer without any of the barriers of having full on provider hosted app configuration on premise, that even if that's not the long-term answer, if there is some answer that we can put together that makes it as easy as as adding a WSP and running some PowerShell or even doing it in the UI, even though in the past that required a maintenance window and all that, it was easy relatively to do. Now it's a lot harder and that's a barrier to adoption. Yeah, I think if you walk into a customer or you know, you've already got the app add-in model set up, like in terms of the high trust or low trust configured with the DNS and all those bits and pieces, you're okay, but I, I understand that barrier to entry. If you, you know, if you're trying to push your org to do that, you've got to go and speak to so many different people in an enterprise organisation to get agreement. I remember when I was in Australia, it's a long time ago now, probably seven years ago, trying to get a new site collection spun up and having to speak to DBAs and get approval for a new da- SharePoint database um, because you didn't talk to the SharePoint admins because they didn't own the databases for the SharePoint farm. And I think this is very similar. You know, you have to go ask for wildcards for various different things to get that going. I think that's just, it's another hurdle that, uh, you know, we don't have in SharePoint Online because obviously it's all being done for us. And, you know, the architecture you say was really built for that multi-tenant cloud aspect. And yes, it does work on premises with SharePoint Server, but, you know, it's, it's a few moving parts and a few different roles and responsibilities and, you know, getting those hops across. I think, you know, Rich, the, from an architectural perspective, it would have to be a fundamental shift away you know because automated scripts even if we provided automated scripts to do that stuff eric you still need permission from those guys for those scripts to have permissions to create what they needed to create right you would and i think that it this is an evolutionary process right we're going to get to a point where in this whole model we come to uh, a way to deliver and provision apps that works in the cloud and can also be ported on premise, I think 2016 and the hybrid model, even though it doesn't specifically address this apps issue, is the is moves to that direction. You mentioned low trust on premise, uh, that gets a lot of blank stares. I have a slide for that in, in my uh, OAuth session, and it always people just look blankly at the screen, like like what are you even talking about? 
improving that scenario can help uh, because most of those customers are at least going to have some cloud configuration. But, you know, you go back to having to be connected to Azure AC, uh, ACS and having Azure AD provisioned, and there's a lot of plumbing that has to take place. So it's probably the biggest challenge that we're facing, aside from just organizational shift to move to a remote development model. That's probably the biggest challenge that we're dealing with now is is uh, delivering apps on-premise. We know that people are going to continue to do on-premise. Uh, they'll do some cloud workloads. They'll do some on-premise workloads. We've got to make apps as easy to deploy as it is to deploy, say, Delve on-premise or Groups on-premise and bring these cloud technologies on-prem. A lot of work. I know that's a huge ask, right? I just, just took 10 buckets of paint, threw them against the wall there in that statement. <laughs> It, it, if we strive together, both from a community side to build tools and plugins and add-ins and, and work with engineering as we have in the past, like back when we did the, the 2010 patterns and practices cycle, we were really embedded with engineering in, in some of that. And which is the, the new, more nimble PNP that we're doing uh, today with having Steve now working with engineering. And I know Vesta talks into those channels. If we can keep that communication going between the, the out in the community and the people on the back end building the stuff, I think we can get there. I think we're moving in the right direction. It's just, you know, folks, it's going to take a little bit of time. Yeah. Yeah. And then the other one I just wanted to home in on and then we'll wrap up is you mentioned about, you know, starting with the added model and then realizing that uh, it can't do exactly what we want compared to the full trust model. Are you finding that that's a challenge? And is there, what, what could we do there to help in terms of, you know, maybe having that upfront so you don't get the walking to the wall nosebleeds three, three months into a project where you've, you've started with the SharePoint added model? Like, how are you guiding your customers on making those decisions upfront? Yeah, so there's a there's several areas where uh, you can just start the conversation uh, about it in these buckets. So start it with customizations, right? If you're going to do customizations, if you're going to do heavy branding in your environment, then the add-in model is not well suited to that. Uh, you need to be, first of all, you shouldn't be doing that. This is my perspective. I know this is not a public sentiment from Microsoft. So anybody who says that Jeremy and Rich said this, no, Eric said this, that I don't think you should be trying to do heavy customizations in Office 365. I don't think that's what the service is designed for and how it should be consumed. If you're going to go down a heavy customization model, I think that belongs more on-prem where you can take up, it's not as fluid, you have more control over that where you're willing to pay the customization tax uh, on premise. So start there. If you're going to be doing that, okay, that's, that's primarily full trust. Do you have a lot of backend internal systems that you need to communicate with for data exchange? Opening those up to the cloud, maybe not a, a great idea. Perhaps that's better suited to maintain a full trust scenario. Although, although I do find in a lot of those instances what we're really talking about at the end of the day is taking a lot of .NET code and somehow forklifting it into SharePoint. That's a bad idea. Now that we have a, an app model, it's better to leave those heavy .NET applications where they are and let them communicate with SharePoint. So that's a decision point, certainly, in the conversation. And then the other one is scheduled things that have to run on a schedule. Sure, you can do Windows timer executables and you can do Azure web jobs, but timer jobs are elegant. Uh, they're, they were very well thought out. They're very functional. They have, you know, property bags and, and they have recovery and all the different ways to, to stuff gets deployed out to all the servers in the farm. They're a very elegant mechanism and, and they're very useful for those types of scenarios. Beyond 
those distinct instances, and I know there's a few others out there in the various use cases, but my opinion now is the same it was a couple of years ago, and that is start looking at it as an app, and when you get to, or an add-in, and when you get to a point where you, you feel like you're banging your head against the wall, ask yourself, is it worth to continue doing this as an add-in? Could we maybe break off a portion of the functionality? Does a little bit of this or some of it need to be um, full trust? And just just make some some common sense decisions about what the best way is to go in your own environment. On-premise customers have that capability or luxury, if you will, of uh, being able to piece things out and do one model that works well in one place and one that works somewhere else. And, and by all means, take advantage of that where it makes sense. But start with apps first. Follow that path until it gets to a path where we haven't either delivered the right set of APIs. Be, that's a challenge, of course, right? Is it our API coverage in, in the uh, cloud and JSOM and the Office 365 APIs just isn't as robust as it is on-premise. Uh, if there's things you absolutely have to exercise uh, there, then then that should be a full trust solution. One of the things that, and I'll just close with this, that I don't think people think enough about is why not serviceify your full trust code? If you have to have full trust code, why not turn it into a web service? Why not make it an endpoint that you can call to do the work that you need to do on-premise from your app or your add-in if possible? It doesn't mean you have to do a web part. It doesn't mean it maybe has to be a timer job or, or a feature receiver or the things that we've done in the past. What if you could do that in a, in a web service that you call and, and separate the areas of functionality where you need them to be? I don't think enough people think about that. And I've had some real eureka moments with customers where I say, why don't you just open up a WCF endpoint to that and let or REST endpoint and let your app call it? And they go, Oh, wow, we didn't think of that, uh, and I think that probably deserves more discussion than it's than it's had so far. Yeah, that that definitely makes sense. Yeah, I was going to say uh, back there was years and years ago when we were popular in what we called BPOSD or uh, you know what's become dedicated SharePoint Online. Some of the migration uh, ISVs actually that's the only way that we would work with them if they basically expose some of their capability through an endpoint like that kind of wrapped it all around that versus having tons and tons of plugins to different areas. So I like that. I like that idea as well. So one last thing, um, and this is just really quick is we're going to start a new thing on the podcast for every um, guest we have is what is, what would your one, your like wish list if you rubbed a lamp and you got one wish, not three, but one <laughs> um, for the office 365 developer landscape, what would it be? It would have to be deployment. Uh, and it's a big one, I know, but that would be my biggest request. If we could ease the on-premise deployment model for cloud applications, I think we could dramatically increase uptake and adoption and remove a lot of barriers uh, to people uh, putting this stuff uh, together. And, and so whatever that looks like uh, going forward, making it easier to deploy and, and manage ongoing deployment, that sort of ALM story, that would be my biggest ask. Cool. Yeah. I'm kind of with you on that one as well. So um, if that's the case, and I think there's already a few user voices that kind of target that, I'd love everyone who's listening, who's passionate about the stuff and believes in that to kind of really get going and, and push that uh, by voting up what, what's in there and, um, I'll try and dig out some of those user voices and put them in the blog post notes if you can't find them yourself so that you can vote them up. 
but um yeah we, we are listening but we do need you guys feedback to kind of get that pushed as well cool well um eric i really appreciate you jumping on the show today i'm, I'm really glad we got you on to talk about kind of that those scenarios that you're seeing and giving kind of our audience the opportunity to hear it from the outside um straight up and um, i appreciate the balance as well mate it's great to kind of get it from both angles absolutely enjoy doing it and um, i'll see you at the end of the month the sp techcom dev days maybe we'll get you on a show and talk a little bit more about some of this stuff as well yeah that'd be great excellent thanks very much mate have a good week thanks cheers rich thanks for joining buddy all right see you later thanks again for listening make sure you check out dev.office.com for all of your office 365 developer needs all the links from the show are in the blog post on blogs.office.com dev where you can find the latest news about office 365 If you have any ideas for new shows or questions for us, please join us in our Yammer group in the Office 365 Technical Network. Have a great week, guys, and keep coding on Office 365.